Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited that you would join us today and hope you're encouraged by the message you hear. If you'd like to know more, visit our website, highway.com.au. It's good to be here with my Highway family. Uh, If you're the type that's following actual Bible, Acts chapter 8, we're going to get there in just a second. If not, you'll be able to follow along um, on the the screens. Um, Thank you so much for being my family in Ormo for so long. I love this church very, very much. It has a deep place in my heart. Um, The leaders here have a deep place in my heart. The family of the leaders here have a deep place in my heart. And I'm just so excited to, um, to see, you know, the, the people that were kids when I first started coming, they're, they're now leading stuff, and it's, 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 just, it's just brilliant. Um, on your way out tonight, uh, there's a table at the back right there with our teaching resources on it. Uh, everything's available in audio and video on USBs. Um, we use the profit from that to help fund our missions in the world. Uh, we believe we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. And so our mission of choice is not better than other people's mission, but you can't fix everything. You got to pick something and make that your thing. And so our mission of choice, so we have three children's homes in China that look after children with mental disabilities. Uh, we also have a, a ministry in Cape Town that works with the government there as a viable diversion option to Polesmore Prison. Uh, we do lots of other stuff. But I, I, I wouldn't sit here and list them all. I, I would just say um, when this is over, um, if you would come back and let me put something in your hands that will change the way you look at God. And so doing, you put something in our hands that helps us feed, close, shelter, educate, mentally handicapped children. Uh, I think that's a pretty good trade. Um, there's six brand new series since the last time I was here. Uh, so come on back there. I just finished a whole series on the book of Romans. Uh, it's incredibly, oh man, just heart-wrenching how, how that book gets misused. And so um, I, I wanted to tackle it to, to bring it to life. Um, there's a six-hour short course on how to approach the Bible better. If the book that's supposed to reveal Jesus actually um, gets in the way of Jesus, that's a problem. Um, and it's not the Bible's fault. It's, it's our fault for how we're approaching it. And so um, all that's back there. Um, it, it'll, it'll help us do our thing. It'll resource you well. The only thing I would ask is that if you don't want anything, God bless you. Uh, I'll see you next time uh, when I'm through. But if you know you're going to grab something before you leave tonight, if you could go in the first 10 minutes. Uh, the reason is, is we got to pack that down and I've got to drive it to Chinchilla, okay? So if you could do that for me. So I, this, this church has a real chatting afterwards culture. And, 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 and I, think, I, I think that's amazing. I think it's so much fun and it's so, good, it's, it's so good. But the order of things after this tonight is to buy first and chat second, all right? So if you don't want anything, seriously, no pressure. God bless you. If you're going to get something, if you could do that first. So I'm just going to ask for your attention tonight um, for something that I'm, I'm carrying a bit of weight over. And um, I just know that there's something on this. I uh, um, Leaders at the highest level, not, not just at this church, but leaders at the highest level in multiple movements around the world have told me that I need to bring this as much as I can to any church I go to um, because it gives language. I work so hard on what I, I'm going to talk about tonight because if the anthropologists are right, and I know that they are, um, for the next three years, and you're already experiencing it now, what you're going to see is this once-in-a-lifetime coming back into faith. People wanting to ask questions about Christianity, about Jesus. And, and what you've got to realize is, is we're not arguing with what Christianity is. We're arguing with whatever picture the person has about whatever Christianity is. Now, you know, what that means is, is, that, is that we're going to have all manner of story coming into this room in the next three years. And how we handle the person's broken story is going to ultimately determine how we steward this opportunity. And, uh, and the question is, is what kind of God are we dealing with? 
Are we, a, are we serving a God that's too holy to deal with broken stories? Or are we serving a God that's too holy not to engage himself in someone's brokenness, chaos, disrepair? Not to hurt it, shame it, criticize it, or condemn it, but to, to involve himself in it to make a better narrative out of it. See, see, words don't matter as much as how people picture words working matters. It's possible to say something true that creates untrue imaginations of how that works. My favorite example is this. I'm going to say something true. You will picture something not true. Okay? One day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll judge you. That's true. Except for in the Western world, a judge is a courtroom official. So we picture a court guy deciding guilty, not guilty, in or out. In Hebrew, the word judge is shofet, which is defender. It's like Psalm 84. God is the judge of the orphan. Why is God judging orphans? You guilty orphans. No, he's defending them. And there's a whole book called the book of Judges. These people aren't courtroom officials. They're people anointed by God to set us free. So when I say one day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll judge you, I mean one day you'll finally be in the presence of the one finally and fully anointed by God to set us free. And in that sense, I want you to be the most judgmental church in Ormo. I want you to be willing to engage people's broken stories, not to hurt it, criticize it, shame it, or condemn it as if that ever works. I want us to involve ourselves in broken stories to make a better narrative out of that story. And, and there's a way to do that and a way not to do that. It's, it's okay to have something and not be known by that something. Like I have convictions that I'm not known for because I don't want to be known for my thoughts on tangential things. Like the pressure of the, where do you stand on this? And where do you stand on this? And where do you stand on this? And where do you stand on that? That's a trap. We shouldn't be known for any of that stuff. We should be known for our belief in Jesus as evidenced by our love for our world. And that requires a technology of the table, not the tablet. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the second paradigm shift. I want to, um, and it's so important we get this right. And I don't want to rush it. So I want to really, so let me illustrate this with the true story. It was told to me by my friend, Ben Staines. Um, he lives in rural New South Wales. And he, he was, he was talking about an, an American tourist came to Australia. I'm American. We love Australia. Americans love Australia. Anytime America, an, an American wants to come to Australia, they always want to see the outback. An American that's never been to Australia thinks the outback is a place. They don't realize it's the whole country. So you don't want to see the, well, you want to see the whole country? It's weird. Fly to Mount Isa. Drive five minutes out of town. There you go. 3,000 miles of outback. And one of the things that we don't understand as Americans is the size of properties. Bill Gates became the largest private landowner in the history of America. He bought a million acres for himself. America's like, a million acres for yourself? Man. Australians are like, backyard, right? <laughs> my, my pastor was an old cattleman. And um, his property growing up was 100 miles, uh, no, sorry, 70 miles long by 30 miles wide. Well, to an American, that's like the state of Connecticut, like, it's unbelievable. So the, the, the American tourist was, was out at one of these cattle stations, and he couldn't work out, what, how do you keep the cows from running away? Like, there's no, you can't fence up properties that big. It would cost too much. You need a congressional act to build your wall, you know? That's right. And, and so the, the, Australia, the American tourist said to the Australian farmer, how do you keep the cows from running away? The Australian farmer said, what do you mean? He goes, well, there's, no, there's not enough fences. You need fences to keep them in the paddocks. And the, and the Australian farmer said, well, you can't fence this up. What you have to do is you have to find strategic water sources and you dig strategic wells. And, and once, the, once the cattle work out where the water is, they won't venture more than 700 meters from that well because they'll die. 
And the Australian farmer said to the American tourist, Mate, mate, if you got the right wells, you don't need all those fences. Which leads me to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus shows up in the most fence-based paradigm of ministry ever. 613 rules. Who's in? Who's out? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's clean? Who's unclean? Jesus changed the whole thing to two fence posts. Love God and treat others as you would want to be treated. Don't obsess about being right about every single verse in the Bible. Obsess about fulfilling Scripture by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And until we admit that there's a Bible verse that disqualifies every single one of us, we're going to miss the point. Every one of us. You think, not me. There's a lot on pride. And there's 80 forbiddances in Scripture about overeating. <laughs> I know. Jesus said, if you want to change your world, you've got to see yourself as the plank and them as the speck. We've reversed that. This is what it sounds like. Man, we Christians, we're, we're, you know, we're flawed. We're, you know, we're flawed. We admit we're flawed. But you're really flawed. That's not how you change the world. Which leads me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts was a book about God just surprising everybody by keeping it the way Jesus saw it instead of the ways all the rules said it. And the people who made their living with the rules didn't like that, and so they tormented these people. And then eventually they murder a guy named Stephen. And Even the most ardent Christ followers like, we're going to go somewhere else to y'all chill out. And then right in the middle of, of the book, there is this strange story that has nothing to do with anything before it, nothing to do with anything after it. Luke just has the story in his back pocket, and he's like, I'm putting it in Acts 8. And it's a weird story about a guy, a nameless man, just simply called the Ethiopian eunuch. It doesn't name him. He rode a horse. It's weird. Everything in the story is weird. He rode a horse from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. According to Google Maps, that's 3,853 kilometers. That's riding a horse from Melbourne to Mount Isa, turning right and going to Townsville. It's a long way to ride a horse, which is probably why he's a eunuch. <laughs> you can't ride a horse 3,800 kilometers and keep all your bits intact. And it's a strange story. Like, he wouldn't speak the language. He's clutching the scroll of a prophet named Isaiah. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the story. Like, like why would this guy ride a horse that far to a country that didn't accept him, clutching the scroll of a book he couldn't read. Like, none of it makes any sense. And then he runs into a Jesus expert, a guy named Philip. And what you find in the story is that he wants in on everything Jesus has for him. Here's the problem. He has not one clue about any of the rules. He doesn't know the rules that have been created. He doesn't know decorum. So, so he's like, hey, I'd like to be in... But you know the rules. I don't know the rules. Can you think of anything that keeps me from being in? Now, you're, you're, you're caught up with the story. Um, this is Acts chapter 8, verse 35. It's going to come up. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, well, look, here's some water. Is there anything preventing me from being baptized? In, in other words, I, I want in, but I don't know if I'm allowed to be in. Is there anything about me that says I can't be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And so he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
So Philip says, no, no, you're welcome in this Jesus movement. Now, this, this, this passage has so many questions. I have questions. If I have questions, that means you have questions. So I'm going to let you in on my questions, and maybe my questions are your questions. Like, number one, is there too much information in this passage? Like, do we really need to know this guy's a eunuch? Five times it tells us over and over, this guy's a eunuch. If we haven't mentioned this yet, he's a eunuch. Oh, by the way, this guy's a eunuch. Like, if, why not Jim the Ethiopian or the Ethiopian guy? No, 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 eunuch. I, I, could see, I could see the eunuch right now in heaven confronting Luke. Really, bro? Really? You put that in the Bible? You know Willard can't just read over that. The whole world's going to know I'm missing part of my anatomy. It's weird, right? Why is he choosing to worship in Jerusalem? That's weird. He wouldn't have been welcome there. He didn't speak the language. Why is he clutching the scroll of the prophet Isaiah? That's weird. So this guy rides a horse missing parts of his anatomy to a place that he wouldn't have been welcome clutching the scroll of a prophet he couldn't understand. That's weird. And, and is there any reason, number four, that he can't be baptized? He wants in on the Jesus thing, but he doesn't know the rules, so he asks the Jesus expert. Hey, is there, I, I want in on everything Jesus has for me, but you know the rules I don't. Can you think of a reason I can't be a part? But, because... What this passage is going to force us to wrestle with is this one question. Going forward for the next three years, are we going to be a fence-based place or a well-based church? Are we going to think about building our church as a series of fences and rules? Or are we going to be a well-based place? And I'm urging us to be a good steward of the next three years by choosing intentionally to be a well-based place and not a fence-based place. Is there any reason this guy can't be baptized? The answer is yes. And that's where all the tension in the story comes from. There was a rule that Philip knew that the guy would have had no idea about. He's like, listen, I want to be a part of everything Jesus has. Um, can you think of any reason I can't be a, a part of it? And, and the problem was that there was a rule, and it's in the Bible, and it's in context. This is Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. No one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting can ever enter into the assemblies of the Lord. No eunuchs. It's in the Bible. Now the criteria for coming to highway just got a bit more awkward. Would there be a worse job than the inspector? <laughs> no rashes. No dandruff, no diseases I can tell. There's just this one more thing. Like, like it's, it's weird. No eunuchs ever can ever come to the assemblies of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden marriage or any of their descendants can enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants can enter the assembly of the Lord, not even 10 generations from now. There are more fences in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, 2, and 3, than in Jesus' whole ministry combined. No eunuchs, nobody born of suspicious circumstances, and no Moabites. Now, Jesus' presence himself confronts most of this. Like, if you check his genealogy, he's 128th Moabite. <laughs> I think God does accept Moabites. The Bible's not a static record of God. The Bible is a dynamic, progressive, moving revelation of what people thought God was, leading to the final revelation of God in the risen Christ. If you want to know what God's actually like, you always look at Jesus. Always, always, always. There were, certain there were certain questions around the circumstances regarding Jesus' birth. Like, like, there is a rule. So when, can you see where a foreigner eunuch is going, I want in on everything God has for me. Can you think of a reason why I can't? 
that Philip would have, oh yeah, Deuteronomy 23, it's clear. My Bible says we're going to create a poorly constructed meme and use it as a weapon. When Christians use Scripture as a weapon against people who have no emotional connection to Scripture, that is dumb at best and malicious at worst. Like that is not something. Which leads to this question, why is he clutching the scroll of the prophet Isaiah? Well, on the same scroll he was clutching, here's what it says. This is Isaiah 56. Let no foreigner who's bound to the Lord say the Lord will exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I'll give them within my temple's walls a name better than the sons and daughters. In other words, as if God would ever exclude someone that wants everything he has for them. Are you serious? Don't ever ruin the Bible by treating it statically. Deuteronomy 23. No eunuchs, no foreigners. It's in the Bible. Isaiah 56. Upon further review. <laughs> As if God would exclude anyone that wants everything he has for him. See, in this passage, Philip has a choice. Be right about Deuteronomy 23, by which he should have thrown him out. Or be right about Isaiah 56, by which he should have welcomed him. Or do something more profound than any of that and choose to fulfill Scripture instead of being right about it. And by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. What's the Bible say about eunuchs in church? Deuteronomy 23, no eunuchs. Isaiah 56, all eunuchs that want it. Matthew 19, Jesus Christ said, some people are born eunuchs. Deal with it. And by Acts 8, you have a foreigner eunuch and a Jesus expert having an encounter that is critical to understanding what kind of church we have to build. Are we going to focus on the fences or are we going to focus on the well? Now, if you're a linear learner and you got lost in all that, I did this for you. There's two characters in this story. <laughs> one, there's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's a God-fearer, but there was one rule that disqualified him. And when these people come into this church, you could choose to find the verse that disqualifies them, or you could choose to fulfill Scripture by treating them as you'd want to be treated. <laughs> and, and there's Philip. Philip is a, a Jesus expert. But he was from a devoutly Orthodox village called Bethsaida. He had to live by all 613 fences until Jesus taught him a better way. And, and Jesus, Jesus taught us that you judge something by the fruit it bears. Well, is there any fruit in this story? Well, yeah. Today, two-thirds of Ethiopia identifies as Christians. Ethiopian Christians are indigenous. People don't tend to move to Ethiopia. The Ethiopian church today traced their origins back to this one eunuch. In other words, you never know. We're being nice enough to fulfill Scripture today. It has massive impact generations later. We could, be, we could spend $10 billion today evangelizing Ethiopia, or Philip could have been nice to begin with. It's that. And I could just go ahead and tell you, I'm saying something obvious here. Highway Church is committed to being a well-based place. If you'd rather be in a fence-based place, you're in the wrong spot. We're committed to being a well-based place, but that doesn't matter. What matters is how we picture that working. So I work very hard on this. I want to share with you some language that helps us put what this means together. Are we going to be a fence-based church or a well-based church? Well, let's say it this way. A fence-based church obsesses on are you worthy. A well-based church obsesses on are you thirsty. Do you want it? 
fence-based church obsesses with, have you kept all the rules? Do you believe all what we believe? A well-based church says, no, 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 no. All I want to know is do you want everything God has for you? And if you want everything God has for you, we can trust God to do all the convicting and all the changing in your life. All our job is to do is to facilitate and celebrate your next yes, even if it takes 10 years. If you want everything God has for you, we are here to facilitate and celebrate that next yes. Because a fence-based church asks, are you worthy? A well-based church never asks that. They just say, do you want it? Are you thirsty? I'll say it another way. A fence-based church, fence church says we're going to sin less. We don't, muck, we, we don't muck around with sin around here. Stop sinning! Okay, and look, the less we engage in behavior that destroys us, the better. But fighting sin by forbidding it doesn't work. A, a fence-based church says we're going to sin less. A well-based church says, no, 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 we're going to love more. And by loving more, we'll automatically sin less. A fence-based place says everything needs to be fixed. A well-based place says, no, 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 nothing has to be hidden. Like a fence-based church says, do you believe all we believe? Do you have, like, do you have all this stuff together? And we're not, we're not asking that question here. We're asking, the better approach would be, do you want it? And what we're going to do is we're going to create a shame-free space where people can come exactly as they are and nothing has to be hidden. That way the Holy Spirit can get in the middle of all that and do all the convicting and all the changing of that person's life, right? And, and then that's all the pressure off us. All we have to do is cooperate instead of manipulate. Like if, if you want to keep your mental health, here's a, oh, this is so obvious, but my goodness. There's no vacancy in the Trinity for us. If God is not convicting the person, either because he can't or because he's not, what hope do we have to be that? Our job is just to create a shame-free space with people that want everything God has to them and then let God do all the convicting and all the changing. And our job is just to facilitate and celebrate their next yes. A fence-based place says, are you worthy? A well-based place says, are you thirsty? A fence-based place says, we're going to send less. A well-based place says, you're going to love more. A fence-based place says, everything has to be fixed. A well-based place says, no, 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 nothing has to be hidden. Let's say it this way, number four. A fence-based place focuses on distance. How far are you from God? This is the question like my dad's generation used to ask. Like, how far are they from God? It's like, what? No, no, no. What? That, that's, that's a dumb question. How far is someone from God is just a function of their life story and, and where God is engaging that story wherever it is. A fence-based place doesn't ask how far someone is from God. A fence-based place, a, a well-based place asks, what's the direction of their shoulders? Are they facing the right way? Wanting everything. God. Let me illustrate this with a true story. And I just want you to pay attention to your heart when I tell this story, not your head. Pay attention to what your spirit does. So I was doing this Tuesday night, all-in night, and um, at a very well-based church. And uh, this, it's, you, you had to be on team to be at this night. And there was 400 people at this meeting. It was a lot. And they had this section of the meeting called Minute to Win It. I almost panicked because it was, I thought it was a terrible idea. Here was the idea. Anybody at any time can come up to the front, grab the mic, and give a testimony as to something you saw God do when you were serving. I thought it was a terrible idea, except for the fact that um, as soon as you touched the mic, there was a 60-second counter, and if it beat, they muted the mic. So what it did is it created these fast-paced, rapid-fire stories that everybody's cheering, and it was just, um, it was unbelievable. Well, I was up at the end of all that, and the last guy before me gets up and says, hello, everybody, I'm an atheist. And I thought, man, you're, you're killing a party here, seriously. <laughs> 
read the room, you know. But I thought, he's only got a minute. I got 40 minutes. So I'll win. Doesn't matter. He says, um, I'm an atheist, but I, I, I'm a lonely atheist. And my friend told me that y'all didn't care whether I believed in God or not to let me belong to your thing and be your friend. And so I came. Sure enough, none of you care whether I believe in God or not to let me belong. By my second week, somebody asked me to be a door greeter. <laughs> and I said, yes. He says, so my job is I stand on the door and I'm nice to people and show people where the bathroom is. It's great. He said, you are a church with an atheist door greeter. Oh, this is wonderful. He said, and my God story is this. It's because of your kindness. I'm going to step back tonight and reconsider God might be real. Right? See what happened in your heart there? A well-based church can do that. A fence-based church cannot. A fence-based church would be like, does he believe what we believe? Has he prayed the prayer? What if he died in an accident? You know, is his atheism going to get, is his atheism contagious and going to get on our children? What? what? Like, are you, like, are you, like are, you, are you serious? It doesn't rub off. Like, so... The, the, the question a well-based church asks is, is, is his shoulders facing the right direction? And, and would you agree with me that an atheist reconsidering God might be real is just as big of a faith move as someone coming to an altar? And we should be able to facilitate and celebrate anything that looks like that. A fence-based church says, are you worthy? A well-based, are you thirsty? A fence-based sending less, a well-based loving more. A fence-based everything has to be fixed, a well-based nothing has to be hidden. A fence-based church it focuses on distance, a well-based direction. A fence-based church focuses on a legal transaction. Like because of what Jesus did, you're forgiven and that's awesome in the end. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yes. And we're so thankful for that. A amen. But, but a well-based church says, no, don't end there. Jesus isn't someone to believe in. Demons believe in Jesus. Jesus is somebody to fundamentally shape the way we see all things. It's a way of life. Let's say it this way. A fence-based church says the cross for us. And yeah, amen. Jesus died for me. Yeah. And you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, true. But a well-based church goes further than that. says, no, 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 the cross in us. The cross doesn't just tell us how to be okay with God. The cross informs how we handle injustice and how we think about where God is when we suffer. And it, it tells us how not to escalate violence and how to treat our enemies. And it informs us about how we handle ourselves in conflict. The cross for us or the cross in us. A fence-based place focuses entirely on the forgiveness of sin. And, oh, and yes, amen. We should celebrate that. Oh, a well-based church goes a step further, though, and says, actually, we don't want to stop with forgiveness. We want to be restored to our original goodness. Like, you don't want to be a forgiven person who ruins your life. That would be terrible. A, a fence-based church focuses almost entirely on someday. Someday, someday, someday the lion and the lamb, someday no more pain, someday, 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 they're calling down, you know, harvest, harvest, right? It's, it's that, it's always sometime in the future. And yeah, amen, but a well-based church says, no, it's here, now, today. Jesus never invited people to go to heaven when they die, ever. He invited people to have heaven so established in them now that when they do walk into heaven, they don't get whiplash. It's that. A fence-based church says, God for me. God for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, amen. God for us, sure. 
A well-based church goes past that and says, no, 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 it's not just for me, it's God for the whole world. Like, he's, he's not choosing sides. There's not like people God loves and people God doesn't. It's like, no, 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 until we can see the image of God in people not like us, we've missed the point. In Christianity, it's never us and them, it's us as them. It, let, let's say it this way, one more way. A fence-based church says saved a lot. And look, I'm not mad about it because I know what people mean by that. I, amen, saved, yeah. I, okay, I, I'm just saying that people we're trying to reach are confused about what that means. And so we gotta make sure that we explain the images around what that means. It's not another us and them thought. A, a fence-based church says saved. A, a well-based church says, yeah, yeah, saved, but let's not stop there, let's go with whole. It's not just saved, it's actually whole. See, it seems to me the critical question for Highway in the next season is one question, are you thirsty? It's do, here's the question we wanna know. Do you want everything God has for you? And if you do, we are here to facilitate and celebrate whatever your next yes is to the center. But a thirsty culture has characteristics to it. Let me give you four characteristics of a thirsty culture. And if you're this kind of person, you're a highway kind of person, okay? Number one, a thirsty person is teachable. The root word disciple in both Hebrew and Greek is student. If we ever lose our teachability, we're not thirsty anymore. If we ever start with our flag in the ground, if we ever start with that, if I haven't thought of it, it can't possibly be true. Are you kidding me? We haven't even scratched one one thousandth of one percent of what God is. A thirsty culture is teachable. It's also humble. A thirsty culture never chooses their own personal freedom at the expense of the whole. A thirsty culture is teachable. It's humble. Three, it's responsible. A thirsty culture, a thirsty person refuses to blame. It refuses to escape. The more we blame someone for why we are the way we are or why we're going through what we're going through, the more we blame is the level we disempower ourselves from the change necessary to change our life. A, a thirsty culture is teachable. It's humble. It's responsible. And it's passionate about the infinite possibilities God has for us. You take those four things, teachable, humble, responsible, and passionate. I don't care where that is or what you call it. For us, we'll call it church. That's not only, that's not just important, that's an essential place in the world. A group of teachable, humble, responsible, and passionate people about making our world a better place, that's what we're talking about. And it comes down to one thing, are you thirsty? Which leads me to this. Jesus, in John chapter seven, does, in my opinion, top three most radical thing he ever did. And that's saying a lot, because he did a lot of radical things. Every year in Jerusalem, there's a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles was once a year, everybody chose to live in tents for a week. It's weird. Why would they do that? Here's the basics. They did that because they wanted to remember that there was a day they were homeless refugee slaves. And here's the idea. If we ever forget where we would be had God not touched our story, we'll lose sight of our responsibility in their story. That's the idea. And at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, there's a closing ceremony. 
The closing ceremony happens at the temple. Literally the most fence-based paradigm of ministry imaginable. Even in the architecture, there was an inner, a real inner, an inner, an outer, and people were allowed here and not there. There was all kinds of gates and fences. And man, Jesus stood on the steps of the most fence-based paradigm of ministry ever, and he said this radical statement in John chapter 7. Check this out. It's going to come on the screen. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone, anyone, whoever. These are big words. Republican, Democrat, male, female, slave, free, labor, liberal. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Of this he was speaking of spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that again, and I'm going to add two words. I'm admitting I'm adding it for effect. Just pay attention to your heart when I add the two words. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me, as the Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Of this he's speaking of the Spirit. Any, any questions? <laughs> uh, wait a minute. You, you mean the Spirit of God that's been relegated to the inner room of the building behind you and only available to certain elite people, you're now making it available to everyone? Yes. What, what do we got to do to get that? Want it? Um, but I'm a Moabite, and there's a Bible verse. I know, I'm part Moabite myself. Honestly, if you want it, you can have the Spirit too. Um, but I'm an Ammonite. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm a Sidonite. There's eight verses that condemn me. I know, I know. But if you want it, you can have the Spirit of God. You can have the Spirit of God too. But I have a rash no one knows about. And um, there's this verse that says, if you have a rash, you can't. Yeah, yes, you're welcome to, sir, and, and, and please, please, for the love of God, keep the rash to yourself, and, and, and whatever you do, get some cream. But, um, but we, could, we could go through all 613 fences, or you could just trust me, I've just changed the whole paradigm from 613 fences to two fence posts. Love God and treat others as you would want to be treated. The only question Jesus was asking is, do you want everything I have for you? And if you want everything he has for you, regardless of the level, the brokenness of your story. Wow. Now, great sermons aren't meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with for application. There's a couple questions. One, when's the last time I saw God do something that made me uncomfortable? The last time I saw God do something that made me uncomfortable, I, I would say, if we haven't seen that in a while, it's not because God stopped, it's because we quit paying attention. Like you saw God touch someone, but there was something about them that's like wrong. And yet God doesn't, God seems to love people more than the rule you know, and he touches them anyway. Like have you ever seen something miraculous happen to, I don't know, an unbeliever, and you're like, they don't even believe. And I, yeah, like God loves people more than the rule we know. Say it this way. Have I honored right, wrong, in, out, clean, unclean over a hungry, thirsty paradigm? Am I blaming? Look, no indictment. I have a big giant plank in my eye, forced right here in my eye hole, right? I'm just asking you for your own benefit. Is there any circumstance that you're a part of right now and instead of taking responsibility for your part in it, you've chosen to blame? And I just want you to take a second and notice how disempowering that is. Take responsibility. Move forward. Am I a teachable person? Or, or have, I, have, I, have I walked in here with this notion, if I haven't thought of it, it can't be, no, no, no. Or am I a teachable person? 
Am I a flexible person? Like if God saw fit to fill them with the Holy Spirit, who am I to argue? Don't feel bad, it happened in Acts 2. They, 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 God wasn't supposed to fill Gentiles. It's in the rule book. And then he did it. And even the followers of Jesus are like, Peter, explain yourself, bro. God doesn't fill Gentiles. Peter's like, I know, I know. I was taught that my whole life too, and then I saw him do it. And who am I to argue with whatever God's up to in someone's life, even if I don't understand it? See, the question for us at Highway is, are we building deeper wells or higher fences? To quote the Australian farmer, if you dig the right wells, you don't need all those fences. So I bless you, my brothers and sisters of Highway, to steward this next season well. Once in a lifetime, three-year opportunity, people are gonna be rushing back to faith. What that requires of us is to be a well-based place and never a fence-based place. May we lead people to the well, never focusing on are they worthy, but are they thirsty? Not sitting less, but loving more. Not everything has to be fixed, but nothing has to be hidden. Maybe not focusing on distance, but direction. And facilitate and celebrate everyone's next yes as God engages their broken story, not to hurt them, shame them, criticize them, or condemn them, but to wrap himself around that story to make a better narrative. So Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you because of the way I'm presenting you. We wanna be well-based people. Tonight we choose tables over tablets and wells over fences. Give us the courage to flesh that out every day in how we treat others. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for being a part of your night. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central, and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. I love you very much. I, I bless you to know you serve a God that believes in you more than you believe in him. He's entrusted you with his yoke for this city, this country, and ultimately the world. I bless you to be those people who always dig deeper wells instead of erecting higher fences. Grace and peace, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or find out more about Highway Church, go to highway.com.au.